0: Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. Almost like wanting that powerful truth of God's word to bathe over us. We started last week uh, with the first portion of that love is patient. Today, we're looking at love is kind. And you know, the beauty of this series is that we're looking at these passages that are super easy to remember. Last week, we talked about that God is love, 1 John 4. And, the, and then we talked about love is kind. Man, those are easy passages to remember, aren't they? And today, love is kind. Just to give you a quick preview, if you weren't here last week, this is, we're reading out of a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And Corinth was a metropolitan city, and uh, it was, we we, like to joke that Corinth gave Las Vegas its tagline, what happens in Corinth, stays in Corinth. And Paul had planted this church in this city where everything goes. And he writes to them because somewhere along the way, they forgot the most important thing. They were an the eager church, eager for God's gifts, uh, and yet they were missing the most essential gift, love. And Paul writes this letter, this very part that we've read, uh, not for a wedding, but to remind this church that there is nothing more important that they could focus on but on God's love and to seek to have that gift from God that they might Give it on to others. He puts this passage right in the middle of a conversation about all the gifts that that God gives, all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And as we would look at this passage, we know that Paul uses verbs to describe love, not adjectives, not descriptive words, but active words. In other words, love is an action. It's not a passive thing. It's not an emotional thing, though it has emotion. It's an action. And so no different with this uh, statement of today, love is kind. Now, the word in Greek for kindness or for this word kind, this verb, I'm going to butcher it because I'm definitely no Greek scholar. So here we go. It's kresteumai. It's used only once in the New Testament right here in 1 Corinthians 13. And this word means to extend yourself at the service to others, to do good, to bestow a benefit to others, making oneself useful. And the root of this word is krestos, which means good and gentle and easy, not harsh. It's the very word that Jesus uses when he says, all of you who are weary, come to me. He says, my yoke is easy. It's this krestos word. In other words, kindness. Kindness is what God offers us. This kind of kindness that extends beyond ourselves. And you know, I don't think I have to convince you that kindness is good, right? I don't have to convince you that everyone is for kindness. We all are. Um, In fact, if you were to look back in history, as long as anything has been written, there has been statements about kindness. Take a minute and go to Google or YouTube and search for kindness and you're going to be in a sea of all kinds of things because everyone is for kindness. I, I picked up a few just to make the point. Aesop wrote, no act of kindness, no matter how small, is ever wasted. Mark Twain wrote, kindness is the language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Even the Dalai Lama comes in, he says, this is a simple religion. There's no need for temples, no need for complicated philosophy. Our own brain, our own heart is our temple. The philosophy, he says, is kindness. And from pop culture, Lady Gaga, I've been searching for ways to heal myself, and I found that kindness is the best way. There is no question, all of us agree, kindness is good. And, you know, I was thinking as I was preparing for this message, I thought, Man, what am I going to teach on kindness that no one, you know, what, that you don't already know? Because I think we agree that kindness is good. We've been taught that since we were kids. In school, they have programs to help kids be kind to one another. We have all kinds of uh, movies that are about kindness, Pay It Forward movements that come out of those movies. We have a movement against bullying, uh, which is called Choose Kind. We even have a day dedicated to kindness. Did you know that? On November 19th of this year, we have World Kindness Day. Kindness is all over. Everyone agrees that kindness is good. All of us actually do kindness from here, from time to time. We love receiving kindness. So, hey, what's there to learn about kindness? And it was a conversation with my daughter that dawned on me the issue. While we all agree that kindness is good, that we're all for it, we don't always act with kindness on a consistent basis. We'll find ourselves to be kind sometimes and not kind the other. So what would it take for us to be kind all of the time? And you have to remember that Paul wrote this in the middle of sharing the gifts that come from the power of the Spirit. God's, I mean, Paul is making a point that kindness, kindness that is consistent, that happens all the time, not just sometimes or, or yes, kind with this person one day and not the other, that kind of kindness is supernatural. You have to admit it's unnatural to be kind to someone who is rude to you, isn't it? It's unnatural to, to think of being kind when someone is not being kind in return. It takes something supernatural to be kind all of the time under any circumstances with any kind of person. I know myself, I will... I will be, I mean, be transparent with you. I Sometimes I am kind to the person uh, standing there with a little sign off the road in the freeway. Sometimes I pretend I'm putting on my makeup, right? I'm not consistent. And, and you know, don't look at me with judgment. I know you're not consistent either. We're all inconsistent with our kindness. And so today, as we look at kindness, as we look at God's word to teach us about kindness, I want to ask God to to bathe our time with his supernatural power, that he will, he will teach us about kindness the way that he sees kindness, not the way we live out kindness. Let me pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you, first of all, for your presence here today. As even if it's raining outside and we're all huddled here, we're all sitting as children seeking to understand from you, to hear from you, to experience you, to love you. God, here we are speaking of a supernatural kind of kindness, a kindness that we know we cannot do on a regular basis, we cannot be consistent with. And God, who am I to teach on supernatural things? So God, would you put power in the word of God today? It's already there. Would you release it onto us that we might hear your voice above all else, that we might experience your kindness, that we might understand it in such a way? Would you fill us, fill us, God, with your perfect love as we look into your word? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the hardest places to be kind is when it comes to politics, isn't it? When we find ourselves having a conversation with someone whose opinion is on the other side, where we're like, oh my goodness, you believe that? And my daughter, who's 26, this is how I really kind of hit me this weekend as I was preparing. She says, Mom, I, I have this situation. I, I want to I respond to something on social media. How many of us know that's a dangerous thing to do? So I want to respond to something on social media, and, and I don't agree with this, and I don't agree with that, but I do have my opinion. I feel that, that if I share it, I'm going to be jumped on by everyone else. And the fact is, yes, you will, honey. Maybe you want to rethink that. She says, Why aren't people kind? Why can't we hear one another? And the reality is when we feel threatened by other people, when when we change the conversation from disagreement to believing the other person is not just wrong, but evil. I heard someone speak on Monday last week that she used to work for a governor. She says, man, it used to be where we disagree with one another. But now if you're on the other side, you're not only wrong, you're evil. And man, it's hard to be kind to someone who we think is evil, isn't it? And so it breaks down our ability to be kind consistently. It's a A study done by a group of psychologists, this gal named Linda Sika said that whenever we feel that the other person is evil rather than good, when we feel the other person is uh, wrong in such a way that it's going to harm us, it's very difficult to be kind. Very difficult to be kind. And so as we look today at God's word, the power that we're talking about to be consistent with kindness today isn't going to come from us. Because remember, we've been talking about kindness for centuries. And if we could all be kind enough on our own, this world should be a much better place. But we know it's not. We know there's more division today than ever. Therefore, we need a kindness that goes beyond us. So we're going to look at two stories in the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, this is where these little nice ribbons come in handy because we're going to look at the book of Ruth, a tiny little book in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 10 in the New Testament. We're going to go back and forth. I'm going to do my best not to model up these two stories as I try to tell them at the same time. And so we're going to look at the story by Ruth and we're going to see that there's a pattern to this supernatural kind of kindness. And we're going to be praying as we listen and we learn for God to give us the ability to be kind in the way that he's kind. And so first we're going to look at the story of Ruth. Now, let me give you some background. The story of Ruth and Boaz, this love story, starts with a man named Elimelech. And Elimelech was a very rich Israeli man who, when uh, the, the famine began in Jerusalem, decided to bolt town and go to Moab with his family. There, he had two sons, and those two sons married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other one Ruth. All was great and grand, until some awful, awful situation happened where Elimelech died and both his sons died. And now we have Naomi, Elimelech's wife, and his, her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah, who are now in the Moabite area on their own. And so Naomi decides, I'm just going to go back home to my people where I can be taken care of. In, the, in this time, a woman by herself had no way of caring for herself. She needed to depend on her family. And so she decides to go back, and she tells her daughter-in-laws, Orpah, Ruth, go back to your families. They'll take good care of you. I'm going to go back with my family. And Orpah is like, good deal. I'm going. See you later. It's nice knowing you. But Ruth says, oh, no, I'm staying with you. In fact, Ruth does something remarkable. Her kindness is out of the norm. She says, where you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. Ruth is saying, I'm going to be with you to the end. Already we see an act of kindness that's remarkable. Why? Because for Ruth to leave her people and go with Naomi to the unknown, to a place where Moabites would have been seen as the outsiders, was very risky. But she chooses to go with Naomi. And when they come into Israel and they they, they come into the land where, where Naomi's family is located. Naomi sends Ruth to go and get some food, and, and Ruth goes into the land where uh, Boaz had a big farm and harvest, and the farmers were collecting the harvest, and there was a rule, the Israelite rule, that they were supposed to allow the poorest of the poor to collect grain as, that was left behind. Any grain that fell off the bags or any grain left on the field, it was for the poor to collect. And so Ruth goes and collects grain from this field. And Boaz sees her and offers her kindness. Now, how many of you know this story? You've read read it before, you know the story. There's a danger for you here on both the stories we're going to read today. And that is, we know that Boaz did something incredibly kind for Ruth. We know that Ruth did something incredibly kind for Naomi. And so we easily go, yeah, I know the story. I know the story. I got it. But I want to read to us a line from almost the end of the story so you can understand how huge this act of kindness was. Because I think it's easy for us to go, well, that was nice. But no, this was more than nice. Listen to this verse, verse 10. She fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, this is Boaz she's saying, Why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? Okay, picture that for a second. Ruth, after experiencing the kindness of Boaz, falls face down, bows to the ground, and says, why would you offer me kindness? When was the last time you fell face down, bowed to the ground when someone offered you kindness? Anybody lately? No, right? How big of a kindness would it have to be for you to do something like that? It would have to be remarkable. Ruth is shocked by the kindness she's experiencing from Boaz. The first thing he does in the story is that he sees her. He actually notices her. And I think the first thing we need to ask God for us to be consistently kind, kind all the time with all kinds of people under any circumstances, is we have to have eyes to see what only God can see. We're told this in verse 3, chapter 2 of Ruth. It says, so Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived to Bethlehem, from Bethlehem, Boaz asked his servant who was in charge of the harvesters, whose young women is this? Boaz notices her. There are probably all kinds of poor people collecting grain from that land. But he sees her. He notices her. He takes interest in her. This is a businessman with things to do, but he pauses long enough to look at her. We see the same act in the New Testament story we're going to look. Now this is in Luke chapter 10. And let me give you some background on that. In Luke chapter 10, There is a religious leader having a dialogue with Jesus, trying to stump Jesus, trying to make Jesus look like a fool. And he's asking Jesus questions, hoping he'll trip him up. And he asks Jesus, what shall I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what do you think? And, And he quotes back from scripture. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, great, do this. That's what you need to do. And that wasn't good enough. Obviously, he didn't stop Jesus, so he asked the next question. Well, then, who is my neighbor? And in response to that, Jesus tells a story of unlikely kindness, of remarkable kindness. And again, we might listen to the story and go, I've heard it, been there, done that. But I pray that God will help you see the supernatural, incredible uh, act of kindness that happened in this story. The story goes like this. A man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And if you've been to Israel, you know that Jerusalem is at the top of a hill. And it's a very arduous trip down the hill up to Jericho. And this was a common place for people to be robbed, beaten, you name it. It was not uncommon to see guys on the side of the road who had been taken advantage of. And so one such man occurs. A man is beaten up and left on the road to die. People pass by him all the time. And Jesus says, first, we see a priest walk by who looks at the man but doesn't really pause long enough. He keeps going. Then we have a Levite, a religious person who goes on the other side of the road, also does not look at the man long enough. And then comes this third person, a Samaritan man, not a a Jewish man, but a, a man who was considered like an outsider. He sees the man. He pauses. And he sees the man. Listen, this is what it says in verse 33. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. Verse 33. He looked at him long enough for compassion to grow. If we want to be consistent and being kind towards others, we must have eyes that are open, eyes that are willing to look at the situation in such a way that our hearts are filled with compassion. And often we're in such a hurry, aren't we? Or we're, we're so much on the defensive, we don't really look at the situation. We must really look at it so that we have compassion. The next thing that happens is, of course, he has compassion, so he does something about it. That's the same thing with Boaz. He sees Ruth, he sees that she's poor, and he has compassion for her. And he says this in verse 11. Now we're back at Ruth. Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and how you came to a people you did not previously know. In other words, Boaz is saying, I see you. I've heard your story. I've taken an interest in what's going on. I see your kindness towards others. And he offers her kindness as well. And I want to pause for a second and, and kind of describe for us what it is that both the Samaritan man and Boaz are doing here once they see and show compassion. And I want to quote for you uh, Brene Brown, who does this beautiful little video on the difference between empathy and sympathy. And she says that empathy is what connects us with one another, where we actually feel what the other person is feeling. We put our place in, in such a way that we might imagine what it's like for them or maybe even think about where we might have experienced something like that so that we can be on the same plane. Sympathy, on the other hand, is more like pity. It's kind of like, oh, I'm sorry for you. And and the way that she describes it in her little video is she says, uh, empathy is when someone falls down on the cave, and and they're down there, and it's dark and cold and lonely, and, and sympathy says, wow, that looks really bad. Wow. It's dark down there, isn't it? That's sympathy. Empathy goes oh, wow, I've been here too. Oh, wow, I don't even know what to say. I've never been here. This is cold. This is painful. It's being there with. So for us to be consistently kind, we've got to get ourselves down with others, deep with where they are, understand their pain. I mean, frankly, if you you can think of someone that you have difficulty being kind towards, there's a pretty good chance it's because you don't know, you're not connecting with where their heart is at, what they need, what they're dealing with. I I have a a friend whose neighbor um, started to rent rooms in his house right here in Irvine. He was renting his rooms to UCI Irvine students and he had one student and then another student and then another student and pretty soon he ran out of room in his house. So he started building rooms. He built a room in the hallway. He built two rooms in the garage. I mean, he was building rooms in the backyard. And pretty soon, there were so many students living in this house. It became a massive problem in the neighborhood. And there was no place for her friends to park, no place for her to park. And so she started, like, trying to figure out how to stop this problem. And finally, after years of trying to solve the problem, which needed to be solved, by the way, she decided, I'm going to try to understand this man. Why is he doing this? And when she started having relationship with him, she found out that at one point this man was homeless and he was so lonely that he never wanted to live alone again. And the more people he could live with, the better. So he kept renting rooms in his house so that he would feel, not feel alone again. Now, granted, it's against the law and something had to be done. But once she understood his heart, while she had never been there herself, she was able to be kind to him, even while she was trying to help him change what he was doing. You see, we have to kind of like change the way we see other people so that we can have empathy and care for them. Maybe for us to be consistent in kindness, we have to ask God to help us understand the pain of someone else, help us connect our pain to their pain so that we can come together. And I think once we do that, there is no question that we are led immediately to action. Once we see it, once we feel it, it's almost like an automatic reaction happens because we're not just doing that for the other person. When we understand the pain, we're almost doing it for ourselves as well, right? Because we would want that. We'd want the same thing. And that's what we see in the story of Ruth and also in the story of the Samaritan. Boaz does something remarkable. He doesn't just let her gleam from the field. He doesn't just protect her so no one would hurt her. Boaz makes a decision to take Ruth as his wife. Now, in the old times, in the Israelite time, a woman who was alone would often be taken by a family member to care for her. And this, uh, another man would marry her, and it was called a kinsman redeemer. And in this case, there was another man who was the kinsman redeemer for Ruth. But he was okay with Boaz taking charge. So Boaz says, okay, I will take her in. And in verse chapter 9, listen to what it says. Sorry, chapter 4, verse 9, it says this. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Shilion, and Mahlon. I've also acquired Ruth, the Moabites, Mahlon's widow, as my wife, to perpetuate the diseased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among his relatives. Or from the gate of his hometown. You are my witnesses today. Boaz does something remarkable. He shows kindness to Ruth that extends to the point where he is trying to protect her property and the property of her deceased husband. He crosses that line. In Hebrew, the word for kinsman redeemer is goel. And in New, the New Testament, our kinsman redeemer is Jesus Christ. See, you and I are like the man on the side of the road. You and I are like Ruth, uh, co- collecting what we need on the side. The poor ones in spirit, needing God. We are that, in God. Jesus is our kingdom redeemer. Jesus is the one who shows us kindness beyond, beyond what we deserve. Kindness even when we are against him. Kindness when we reject him. Kindness when we did not love him. He loves us in that way. That's the kind of kindness that Boaz shows. That's the time of kindness that the man shows to the uh, poor man on the side of the road. In Luke chapter 10, verse 34, it says this. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring olive oil and wine. And then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him when I come back and I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Both Boaz and this man demonstrate supernatural kindness, extraordinary kindness to the other, to the outsider, going completely out of their way, doing something that they would never perhaps imagine doing. That's the kind of action we take when we see and when we understand someone else's pain. Now, that's... that's remarkable. And I pray that we would ask God to give us that kind of kindness. Do you remember back in 2007, a man named Wesley Autry? He was in New York about to go to work. He had his five-year-old and four-year-old with him, and he was going to get on the train. And as he's waiting for his train to arrive, another man has a seizure and falls into the train tracks. Autry, without even thinking, jumps down into the train tracks, and tries to pick up the man to get him out. But then as soon as he's doing this, he realizes the train is already coming, not enough time to pick up this man, dead weight essentially, right? To get him off of the tracks. And so in a quick second, he makes a decision to put the man into the center of the tracks and put his body over him, hoping the train would go over them. And so he squishes himself down. And sure enough, The train sees them, tries to stop, but of course trains don't stop on a dime, do they? And takes five cars going over them before the train stopped. Now, the hole in the ground to the bottom of the train is 21 inches. Some sources say that Autry and the man together made up 20 inches and a half. By half an inch, Autry was able to help save this man's life and also his own. In fact, his hat had some skid marks on it from the train going over them. Later, Autry was interviewed by all kinds of people. He would, it, this was in January, so he was even invited to the Super Bowl. He was on TV. It was like a big deal. He was called the Superman of the, of the um, train tracks. But he would say to, to people, you know what? I, I had no reason, to obvious reason, to help this stranger. I didn't know anything about him. It was a moment. It was an impulsive thing that I did. I just, this is what I had to do, and I just did it. Wouldn't it be amazing? If you and I, by receiving kindness as a gift from God, would be such that we would be kind without even putting thought into it, that we would be kind before we even had the time to be doubtful or say, well, that person doesn't deserve or "You know, that person doesn't give back or I don't really feel like it today. Whatever the excuse might be, wouldn't it be amazing if our kindness would be such that we would act with that kind of impulse? We would just do it no matter the circumstances. And I know, I know it's hard for any of us to do that, but the Holy Spirit with God, right? Anything is possible. And the kindness that God has is kindness that is supernatural. So when we ask God to put that kindness into us, it's going to be supernatural kindness. It's going to be kindness that's going to surprise even us as we do it, whatever it is that we do, whether it's a small thing, smiling at someone, Or it's a big thing, putting our lives at risk for someone else. Because that's what Jesus did for us. In Titus, it says this, Paul wrote, When the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not by our work, but his kindness saved us. It took a lot to save you and I. God gave up everything. He gave his son for us. That's the kindness of God. When we ask God for that kindness, that is supernatural kindness. And it will do what it can do whenever we allow it. If we just simply say, God, would you help me see? Would you help me understand? And would you give me power to act without even pausing? Let me just act on kindness without having to think about it. Turn off my brain when it comes to kindness. Let me just do it out of just a a muscle reaction. It it's just happens automatically. That's what I want. You want that? I want you to know that when I preach a sermon, God is really good and puts it to the test, which is kind of scary. Anytime I go to preach, I go, okay, God, how are you going to make me live this out? So last week, I taught on being that love is patient. And we talked about being patient not by our own power, but by the Spirit's power, right? And that night, we had an event at our house. We had a whole bunch of people over, and we were preparing the house in the afternoon, the sermon is still in my head, and I had bought these really pretty glass containers for flowers that we were setting up on the tables, and I had them all in on one table and out in the patio, and my husband was helping me. So he grabbed the table with all the flower arrangements to move it, and off went one of the flower arrangements to the ground, and glass went everywhere. And at the moment, I was really patient. My husband's like, oh, no. And, you know, I had bought these. They were so pretty. I only had so many. So now a table was going to be without a fly arrangement. And I'm like, no, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. It's fine, honey. It's fine. I was so patient. I was so proud of myself. (laughs) Yes, God, I did it. But I wasn't kind. (laughs) Because while I was patient, there's a difference. Patience is not punishing, even though it seems like it's okay to punish. But kindness it's not about restraint. Kindness is about moving forward. So we're cleaning up the grass, and, the glass and, and, you know, kind of putting things back in order. And I'm hearing my husband say things to himself. You ever do this? Like when you, when you make a mistake, do you, do you call yourself names? So he's calling himself names. And I'm, I'm going to share what he said because he's not these things. He's telling, oh, I'm so stupid. I can't believe I did that. I shouldn't have done that. That was stupid. That was just plain stupid. What an idiot. You know, he's saying these things. I'm hearing him. I'm so busy patting myself on the back for being patient. I'm not looking at the opportunity to be kind and say, honey, you are not those things. If you know my husband, he is not stupid. He's a very smart man. So it's like, don't even say those things. That is not true. It's Like that's kindness. I could have been kind. And I share this with you. Obviously, I'm under no condemnation. Jesus Christ has paid for my sins. So I live in freedom. But at the same time, I missed an opportunity, right? To show kindness to my husband. I don't want to miss opportunities, do you? Every time we're kind to someone, we're not just giving generously to others, but we're experiencing generosity ourselves. And I want to ask God, God, please don't ever let me miss an opportunity to be kind. Not to my husband, not to my neighbor, not to that stranger, not to that person that drives me nuts. I don't want to miss an opportunity to be kind, do you? And so we, we have to remember our reward is not going to come from others. Very likely, and you've already experienced this, sometimes our kindness backfires. We're kind to someone and back comes something that you're like, whoa, I didn't expect that one. Sometimes it backfires. But this is what Boaz says to Ruth because of her kindness towards Naomi. He says, may the Lord reward you for what you have done. And may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel. Your reward isn't going to come from this world. Now, you might feel good, and maybe it will come back to you. Your true reward comes from God himself. Be kind even when it doesn't feel right. Be kind even when it's difficult. Ask God to help you. You cannot do this on your own. Ask the Spirit to help you be kind. Because kindness, any act of kindness, it's a seed that grows a huge forest. I love this quote from Ralph. Waldo Emerson, it says, the creation of a thousand forests is in one acorn. We don't know how an act of kindness is going to grow a forest in someone's heart of kindness. We don't know. We may never know if that smile. My youngest daughter works with the homeless. She says, mom, the thing they need the most is someone to smile at them. Just a simple smile. Someone willing, willing to just acknowledge them as another human being. That, after kindness, is a gift to them. That's what I want to do. This is the way, Jesus says, people will know that you are my followers by the way that you love one another. Let me pray. Oh, Jesus, we want this kind of kindness. We want kindness as the kindness that Ruth demonstrated to Naomi. In some way, Reckless kindness. We want kindness as Boaz demonstrated to Ruth. Sacrificial kindness. We want kindness like the kindness the man, the Samaritan showed the man along the road. Kindness that's willing to get out of the comfort zone. Kindness that's willing to be generous. And Father, we want to be kindness. We want to be kind consistently. Not here and there. Not when we feel like it, but almost as an automatic reaction straight from our heart. And we don't have what it takes to do that. As Paul says, it is a gift from you. And so, Lord, I pray with my brothers and sisters, would you pour down that gift of kindness, your supernatural kindness into our hearts? And Father, may it come up in times where we might be surprised ourselves and how we demonstrate kindness. And Lord, may the world see you. May you be glorified as we act in kindness towards one another with your perfect love. We pray all of these things in your matchless, beautiful, loving name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, stand up. Now I want to invite you to respond to what God has said to you. Here at the chapel, if you're new, we respond every week. We take time during the service to, like, fill up this space in dialogue with God. And we go to the cross where we confess our sins and receive the freedom. Be reminded of the freedom we have in Christ. We go to the offering boxes to be generous with all that God has given us. We light candles to remember that we now get to be that light of the world. We get to bring hope where there's hopelessness. And we take communion together, where we take the bread, the body of Christ, and we dip it in the cup, representing the blood of Jesus. And this representation helps us remember the kindness of God. today I'm going to pray something particularly on communion. We're going to have our elders serve communion for us. And while it is just bread and it is just grape juice, it's a symbol. It's a reminder for us. And I'm going to pray for a supernatural exchange. That as we come to live out this symbol, as we are reminded, the Holy Spirit imparts in us a seed of kindness like we've never had before. And then we're going to worship together as one body. Now, as you do all of this, pay special attention to the words that Jared is going to sing over us. And then we're going to sing those words together. Go ahead and respond. Well, as you go today, I want to pray a benediction from 1 Corinthians 1. Kind of a little medley of of Paul's words as a blessing to you. So put out your hands to receive God's word. Go now, strengthened by the testimony of Christ. Keep alert and wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Continue to do right and remember God in your ways. And may God enrich you in speech and knowledge of every kind. May Christ Jesus strengthen you to the end. May the Holy Spirit guide you in faithful living until he comes. So go now in peace to love and save, serve the world in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and His work together. Thanks again.